Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today. DFS, I am C and Najad. We are continuing our off-season series highlighting DFS, highlighting game theory, strategy, player analysis. But today, we have a special guest to highlight all those things, kind of, but to also highlight some NFL futures. This guy, in my opinion, is the king. He's the star. His name is Alex, but he goes by Lil Geppetto sometimes. But you can find him on Twitter at PropStars. That's Prop. S-T-A-R-Z. Alex, how are you doing? Sia, I am fantastic. I have been looking forward to this for weeks since you originally mentioned it to me. Getting to talk about football this early in the season with one of my absolute favorite people. This is a win-win for me. So, yeah, I'm so excited. Alex, I really do appreciate that. For those of you that don't know, that listen to this show, you, you you probably do know that Alex and I do some work together during football season. It's typically on the early edge. Alex is part of the sports line brand a gigantic part of it to be honest with you and he's he's on most of the early edge stuff not just during football season if you're not watching the early edge i, I don't know what you're doing because these guys are absolutely killing it um i will i will join them for some golf stuff but a lot of so, a lot of nfl stuff in the very near future so i'm really looking forward to working with alex but uh alex i, I gotta tell you th- this is very exciting for me too I, I definitely and this isn't just lip service i consider you one of the really the truly brightest minds and best people in this entire industry. So just to have you on the show and to have a sports line person on the show uh, to compliment guys like Mike McClure, who who does this show with me uh, every Tuesday and Thursday during the football season. It is it's an absolute gift. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, for sure. It's an absolute honor. You're too kind, Sia. And uh, yeah, the feeling's mutual, buddy. Awesome. Well, let's get started. I know people don't want to hear me just heap praise on you for 45 minutes. So you gave me, and I know you've been on Sportsline, you've talked about some of these futures in the past. You gave me five futures that you are already on. And I just wanted to kind of go through them. I may talk about some some sort of some DFS slants to some of these picks, and I might have some follow-up questions for you. But Let's start with, Alex, let's start with the Baltimore Ravens. You have the Baltimore Ravens over nine and a half wins. You have them minus 125 to make the playoffs. And you mentioned them at plus 225 to win the division. Let me just ask you right off the bat, did you take all three of those bets? I did, yeah. Not as full unit plays. The The playoffs was a full unit play for me. Uh, but, yeah, I did put a half unit on them to make the playoffs. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm in on the Ravens. I like a lot of what they've done. Obviously, I'll break down why, but, uh, yeah. So, yeah, big on the Ravens. I think they are they are kind of a mystery team to a lot of people, Alex, and it's because, well, okay, their entire running back core was injured last year. Lamar was, was dinged up as well. I think there's still questions about Lamar Jackson in terms of, hey, is this – is this a guy that can a do it for a full season, which of course he has done before, but you know, what type of consistency are we going to see with his arm and just 
but this isn't a Lamar. This isn't a fantasy bet, right? This you're talking about the defense. We're talking about the offense. We're talking about the strength of schedule. Tell me why you like the Ravens. Let's just start with you know minus one twenty five to make the playoffs or or the over nine and a half wins. Sure, yeah. So I, I just think that they're in a great spot to bounce back. Obviously, you mentioned last season just injury riddled campaign. I think at one point, you know, all, obviously all NFL teams experience uh, a wide array of injuries throughout the course of the season, but they were down something like 12 bodies in the secondary. At one point, they were putting out guys that weren't even on the practice squad to enter the year as their starters. Uh, so yeah, just absolutely ravaged by injuries as, as unlucky as any team, in my opinion, uh, by the time game one rolled around, they were already down their top three running backs on their depth chart as well. Uh, I just think this team is so, smart as far as the front office is concerned just an excellent offseason excellent draft that's a constant theme with this organization uh starting with the free agency signing i thought marcus williams was a great addition to the secondary one of the best uh safeties in the nfl they accumulated a ton of talent in the draft uh they drafted notre dame safety kyle hamilton one of the things i love about the ravens is what they do is they aren't shy about uh, figuring out where they want to accumulate the most talent. For instance, their secondary was a huge weakness. Talking about all the injuries, they went out, in my opinion, and just added a ton of impact players there. Um, and then later on in the draft, the offensive line obviously struggled for Baltimore last year, which I'm going to get into. They had uh, arguably the best center prospect in the draft at Tyler Linderbaum. I thought that was an excellent pick as well. I think the Ravens also, from a philosophical standpoint, Stia, really got away from their identity. I know they, they were a more balanced attack last year. We saw kind of Lamar throw the ball a lot, but I think they're going to kind of shift back to what they did really in 2019 when they led the NFL in rushing yards by a wide margin. I think they were second overall in yards that year as well. Really bolstered the offensive line. Obviously, just getting Ronnie Staley back should be a huge, uh, huge addition uh, than Morgan Moses as well. Uh, so, yeah, I just think this team is going to kind of get back to what they do, which is playing a very physical style of smash mouth football. I think they have the personnel to do that. Obviously, the kind of the division with the inclement weather, it's kind of conducive to that. I just think this team is going to get back to their philosophy, running the ball, keeping the, the ball out of the opposing team's hands. They have another really physical defense. It's just an excellent secondary. I just love their spot to bounce back. There's no question that this team is getting largely overlooked. And, and there's a good reason for it, right? We have teams like the Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs and the LA Chargers. And like those teams have a lot of flash in, in, in a much different way. Their personnel groupings are going to be a lot different too. I mean, I think we can count on some 12 and 13 personnel groupings from the Baltimore Ravens where they're just jamming tight ends down your throat and they're making you stop the run. With that said, I do have a question for you because I think there are some – fantasy relevant or daily fantasy relevant pieces aside from Lamar Jackson and perhaps J.K. Dobbins. We're assuming J.K. is going to be um, at least somewhat healthy at the beginning of the season. And of course, they have, you know, Gus Edwards coming back. But from the receiver standpoint, everybody's kind of talking about Rashad Bateman. I'll tell you, I'm not as high on him as as others are. Is he a guy that you could see making a, a big sort of daily fantasy or, or, you know, regular fantasy impact. And if the answer is, is no, is there some receiver on that roster, like a Devin Duvernay or a Tylon Wallace or something like that, that you think might have some impact, or is it just avoid these receivers? These guys are just going to be running the ball. 
Yeah, so so while I'm really high on on the the team outlook as far as fantasy is concerned, and even this is applicable uh, to props as well, I feel like just because they're going to run the ball so much, they've really, like I mentioned, just acquired the sort of personnel that's going to allow them to do that. Uh, I don't think that the offense is going to be able to sustain um, more than two receivers with obviously you know their wide receiver one being a tight end in Mark Andrews. So. Outside of Mark Andrews, I think, you know, at best, Rashad Bateman is a wide receiver three in uh, season-long fantasy. I don't see a ton of upside. I just don't think there's going to be a lot of targets up for grab. I went back to 2019 and looked at some of the numbers when I, you know, mentioned they led the NFL in rushing, which I do think they want to get back to considering they were second overall in yards. Uh, Andrews only caught 64 passes that season, I think on on 90 targets. So there's just not going to be – a lot of targets up for grabs, in my opinion. I think we're going to see a very condensed target tree as well with Mark Andrews and then Rashad Bateman. I just don't think there's really room, Sia, for another guy to really um, get the sort of targets to allow him to make an impact. And I also think we're going to see Andrews regress this year. And I just think his upside or his ceiling is going to be capped by this kind of philosophical shift. And I just don't think there's going to be a lot of upside for Bateman, even though I am very bullish on his uh, long-term outlook and his overall talent. Yeah, no, I totally agree with with all of that when it comes to the receiving core. I will point out, because this is a, you know a daily fantasy show as well, that the Ravens do play at the New York Jets week one. It's a 45-point total. I think it's an interesting game. It's the one o'clock game. So if you're playing the main slate, I mean, obviously, you're probably going to be looking at Raiders Chargers. You're probably going to be looking at the Kansas City Chiefs, Arizona Cardinals, maybe even the Packers Vikings. Those are all afternoon games. But I think the play there, if you wanted to get different, I think playing Lamar Jackson naked or playing him with Mark Andrews is going to be something pretty contrarian given all so many people on the main slate are going to be playing those afternoon games. You could also consider playing the one o'clock slate and just focusing on that Baltimore Ravens game and perhaps bringing it back with your favorite New York Jet receiver or Brees Hall if he flashes in the preseason. These are all things I like to think about two months before the season starts because the lines are there for us to dissect and the DraftKings prices will be out uh, in no time. So Alex, let's move to what we're actually not going to move much because we're going to stay in the AFC North. But instead of an over here, we have an under. We have the Steelers under seven and a half wins at minus 125. Let's talk about the Steelers. Obviously, Big Ben is now gone. We have Mitch Trubisky, the likely starter week one. And, and in my opinion, at least for the balance of the first half of the season, uh, maybe you have a different take on that. But tell me about the Steelers under seven and a half wins. Yeah, see, I was honestly surprised to see, uh, frankly, their win total this high. Uh, I just feel that a team led by some combination of the aforementioned Trubisky and Kenny Pickett playing in a division as competitive as the AFC North. I think the division is going to be really good, even if we don't see Deshaun Watson make an appearance. Obviously, we just mentioned the Ravens bouncing back. The Bengals are obviously very, very good chance. They're going to be very competitive as well. Uh, Pittsburgh's offensive line last year, just abysmal, finished 26th, according to PFF, bringing back nearly the entire line as well. They did not make very uh, many additions to that line as well uh very minimal moves in free agency and the draft to upgrade the line uh, they actually lost their highest graded lineman in free agency as well Steelers also have a very very difficult schedule 
Uh, I've seen, I know uh, the various sources, but I believe they have the third di- most difficult schedule on paper. Five of their first eight games here are on the road. They have to play the Bengals, Patriots, Browns, Bills, Bucks, and the Eagles and the Dolphins in the first eight weeks of the season. Uh, the strength of the team is obviously going to be that defense. It's above average for sure, but I think they lack depth on the defense as well. They have a bunch of high-end players, but I just don't see a lot of depth there if they get some injuries, which obviously is very likely to occur over the course of a grueling 17-game season. Uh, yeah, I just think uh, a team that's likely to be led by a rookie playing in the AFC North with a terrible offensive line and just a very tough schedule is going to have a very difficult chance to win eight games this season. Yeah, I agree. And for the record, it, it, it is the fourth most difficult schedule per Warren Sharp's metrics. And for those of you that don't know uh, how Warren Sharp does his strength of schedule, he's projecting Vegas totals for the upcoming year as opposed to looking in the past. So that's certainly, I think Alex, as he's nodding, if you're watching us on YouTube, he certainly agrees that is the way to assess strength of schedule. So you're right. The Steelers, uh, you know, it's not a good time for your Hall of Fame quarterback to to have retired, although, of course, Big Ben was a shell of himself the last three years. But the point is, no matter how good you think Mitch Trubisky might be, and most people think he's somewhere between bad and average. OK, I think that's sort of a fair range for Mitch Trubisky at this point because there's a bit of an unknown. Uh, but with all of that said, he's, he's certainly walking into a tough situation, particularly behind that non-upgraded offensive line. Let me ask you this, because from a... DFS or fantasy standpoint, this is a this is a tough one. I, I mean, I don't I you know, Deontay Johnson is interesting because, you know, in DraftKings, you're getting a point per reception. I think you got guys like George Pickens who, who's out there who might flash. I, it's hard for me. And Najee Harris, as good as he was from a volume standpoint, I don't know that he gets the same exact volume here. And he certainly wasn't super efficient last year. Is there anybody that just sort of comes to mind like, hey, if you were going to take a chance on a player? And I, of course, I didn't mention Chase Claypool or or the tight end, but Anybody that just sort of like maybe from a player prop standpoint, are these all unders that, that, that you would assess, if anything? Yeah, I mean, as far as Harris is concerned, just absolutely monstrous workload. You, you mentioned a lot of the advanced metrics. He was not picking up yards that were out there for him. He, according to a lot of the advanced stuff, he actually played very poorly. And then when you combine that with the offensive line and just a massive workload, I think he's likely candidate to regress. We saw the same thing with Deontay Johnson. I know he kind of improved as far as the hands department was concerned. But uh, yeah, just, he just it's just hard to replicate that huge volume as well. Not knowing if we're going to get a quarterback could be a downgrade there, even though obviously Ben was terrible. And then there's just a log jam at wide receiver. I think kind of the one guy that I think has maybe a little bit of sneaky value would be Fryermuth, just kind of from an addition mm-hmm. from subtraction standpoint, being no more Ebron. Fryermuth, even when he was you know playing down the stretch, he wasn't even a full-time player. He was only playing between like 55 and 60 percent of the offensive snaps with Ebron out of the picture uh, another year under his belt we'd like to think that he'll become a full-time player in that offense certainly flash at times I thought he was solid and consistent and with tight end being just such a position that's so thin outside of you know the top four or five guys it's just a uh, kind of a uh, just not a lot of uh, standout that I think Fryermuth could have some sneaky value but yeah there's just not a lot to like as far as the offense is concerned in my opinion 
this reminds me, Alex, of the primetime shows we did last year heading into Sunday night and Monday night football because Pat, Pat Fryermuth was such a, a popular first touchdown option. Of course, we did the, the Van Jefferson Memorial. For those of you that are listening to this show, that are fans of the early edge, that was when we would all pick the first touchdown score. And I know Pat Fryermuth was sort of featured in that segment here and there on, on some of these primetime games. So I miss those shows and, and uh, hopefully we'll be working uh, together doing those in a couple of months. I'm actually really looking forward to that. Let me ask you something because I know you put these picks out earlier. I want to stay in the AFC North just for a second because uh, Newsflash, for those of you that don't know Prop Stars, he really does move lines, not necessarily with his bets, but with his information. He has a lot of people that follow him on Twitter and in other places, you know, sports lines, Slack channel, you name it. And, and the reason I say that is because when this was put out, the line, the line moved. And that's what happens when this is not, a, I'm not just making this up. This is like a real thing. So I just want to ask you this. The Baltimore Ravens are now plus 160 to win the division. The Bengals are plus 190. The Browns are plus 275. And the Steelers, of course, are plus 1,000. Do you still like the Ravens to win the division at plus 160? Or has the number moved enough off of plus 225 that you're like, I'm just not interested anymore? Yeah, I think that's an appropriate price. It's kind of what I, I had in mind. When it was plus 20, 225, I did think there was some value there. But at plus 165, I do feel like that's fairly efficient, appropriately priced. So, yeah, that's not something I feel has a lot of value at the present time. And let me let me plead with the listeners, because I know you're listening to this for betting, but also for for DFS purposes and fantasy purposes as well. You got to follow Prop Stars at Prop Stars, P-R-O-P-S-T-A-R-Z, because some of these picks he puts on Twitter. But if you follow him, you know when he's on the early edge, you know when he's publishing things on Sportsline. So it's really important, in my opinion, if you're in the betting space to actually have notifications on uh, when when prop stars tweets because uh, usually that means the information is coming out and the 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 bet the betting lines will change uh, pretty quick. Okay, so let's finally get out of the AFC North, but we're going to stay in the AFC. We're going to go to the AFC South, Alex. You have the Houston Texans over four and a half wins. Tell me about that one. See, uh, this is my largest position as far as futures are concerned. I, I absolutely love this bet. I This is going to sound silly or a little funny, but yeah, I just uh, love what this Texans team has done over the offseason. I was even encouraged uh, by the way they played last year, despite being awful on paper, injury riddled throughout the season. They competed till the very end of the season, Sia. I was very impressed by Davis Mills. I know that we are both Davis Mills truthers. I honestly believe, Sia, this guy is the best quarterback in that division. Uh, in the final four games of the season, eight touchdowns and two interceptions, uh, 69% completion. Also picked up two wins, I might add, uh, starting with the free agency they get an absolutely gigantic massive haul for Deshaun Watson considering he didn't play the take the field last year or make mm -hmm. any sort of contribution anything they get for him is obviously an addition by subtraction uh terrible offensive line last year in Houston but they made it a priority in free agency and the draft they added some players you're going to get Laramie Tunsil back as well he only appeared in five games that should be a boost there they added a guard AJ can re-signed Justin Britt just a bunch of low risk moves none of these are like breaking the bank or stand out I just expect the line to be more solid there on defense they also made a lot of low risk high reward signings quality depth uh resigned some in-house free agents they added jerry hughes from buffalo uh 
He's always one of the top graded edge defenders, a very reliable quality starter. They add Mario Addison, who had seven sacks last year, Rasheen Green from Seattle. He had six and a half sacks last year. They add MJ Stewart and Steven Nelson. Like all these names are like guys who aren't going to make pro balls, but they're guys who are can start in the NFL. And considering how depleted of talent this roster was, in my, in my opinion, they just added a bunch of guys who can start and play. They're not household names, obviously, by any stretch of imagination, but they're just solid depth who are going to be average at worst. I like the draft. I know it was a little bit of hit or miss uh, for some pundits. The Stingley was a bit of a, a kind of polarizing pick, but it wouldn't surprise me if he makes a huge impact. They had an elite guard in Kenyon Green. They take the safety, Jalen Petrie, who's a very versatile player, can play multiple positions in the secondary. Uh, John Michi, who uh, the third who prior to tearing his ACL in the SEC championship game was thought to be a first round pick. He might start on the pup list. He's got some Jerry Judy to him. Could be an impact guy early on if he can get healthy. I love the Christian Harris draft pick in the third round. Started 40 games in the SEC at Alabama. Looks like a potential linchpin in the middle of a Lovey pin, uh, a Lovey Smith defense, kind of in the mold of, you know, like Brian Urlacher. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the Christian Harris pick. They finally addressed the running back pos- uh, position in round four, which is, in my opinion, where you should address it. No earlier than that, picking up David Pierce. He's going to join a crowded back with Marlon Mack or excuse me, a crowded um, running back group with Marlon Mack as well. Just the more I break down the roster, I just think that they're going to be solid. They are in such a terrible division. Mm-hmm. We saw Davis Mills really make strides. I, I love the offseason. They didn't overpay anyone. See, they still have a ton of flexibility. We signed a lot of key veterans, have a ton of guys returning from injury. If they stay healthy, it would not surprise me, honestly, if they're one of the surprise teams in the NFL. There's always a team or two that you kind of like anticipate just being terrible, who out of nowhere, is somewhat competitive i honestly am so bullish on them i could see them potentially winning six seven eight games i even sprinkled something on them winning the division and i believe it was uh plus 2800 and i even sprinkled a little bit on them to make the playoffs at plus 1200 i love them to win five games though sia i just think even if i'm overrating them which i'm certainly i probably am they are a five-win team in this terrible division. Uh, they have a soft schedule at plus money. This is a multi-unit play for me. Yeah, I do. I do like the Houston Texans. I'll note that it starts off pretty hard for them. Indianapolis at Denver at Chicago is not very hard necessarily. Then they get the Chargers, but then it kind of clears up for them. They get the they go to Jacksonville. They go to Vegas. They get Tennessee and Philly at home. Then they're at the Giants at Washington at Miami, Cleveland at home. We don't know what their situation is going to be like necessarily. We skip a few games. We finish, of course, at Tennessee, Jacksonville at Indy, and we don't know what the the shape of those teams that are you know better off in the division from an odd standpoint are going to be that late in the season we do know davis mills is auditioning whether it's for the texans or some other team he's certainly auditioning and i thought given all of his limitations both in the receiving running back and offensive line core he actually listen his stats aren't going to be great but if you watched him play you saw an nfl grade quarterback so i just think that davis mills has the upside and with an improved offensive line with guys like john michi and perhaps damian pierce and i know michi won't be healthy right away but you know, maybe by week six, week five, he's he's on the field. So, yeah, I like this play quite a bit. I, I'm I'm also bullish on Houston, and I think when we get to the sort of the DFS 
part of like taking flyers on guys. Listen, Brandon Cooks is not a, a flyer guy. People know Brandon Cooks. He produces thousand yard seasons pretty much every season of his career. But there's other guys to per- perhaps speculate on. Um, Brevin Jordan, uh, Damian Pierce. There are the guys that that Alex mentioned that I think might have an early DFS impact because you can get them super cheap. And and frankly, especially in the beginning of the season, Houston will be p- playing comeback ball against a lot of these teams. So you can kind of consider that in your analysis when you're rostering guys like Brendan Cooks or Nico Collins or or even a Damian Pierce. So um, I, I like that one, Alex. Uh, let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles which is just a very hot-button team. But before we do that, uh, I do want to take a break. We're going to hear a word from our partners. And we are back. We've got two picks left coming from Prop Stars, and we're going to go to the NFC East, which is always just kind of a, a hot division to talk about. Whether the teams are good or not, this is always a division that people like to talk about. These are big markets, and one of those big markets is, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles. Alex, what do you like here? Yeah, I see. I felt the Eagles had just absolute A plus, had an absolute ham, home run through the offseason. Uh, I like both them. I like their team win total. I originally bet it at over eight and a half. Uh, I like them at the division, which I found at plus 225. I like them also to make the playoffs as well. But yeah, just starting with the offseason, signing Hassan Reddick, in my opinion, the best pass rushing free agent, signed him to a pretty team friendly deal as well, three years. $45 million instead of 23 sacks over the last two seasons, split them between Carolina and Arizona. They then released Fletcher Cox and immediately re-signed him to a much more team-friendly deal. Uh, this was a team that was not thought to have a lot of cap space, but just absolutely maneuvered uh, throughout the offseason so well. Add Zach Pascal, who adds a nice depth to that receiver core. Kaiser White, linebacker from uh, the Chargers, who looked really good, who was able to uh, cover. He had a good coverage grade from pff um they also got a ton of trade equity future draft equity uh by trading one of, i think they had three first round picks going into the draft i believe they shipped either one or two of them uh two new orleans got a massive haul of future draft equity i know they weren't uh, incredibly high on the current crop or this year's draft class so i think that was a very shrewd move they select jordan davis from georgia who i think is going to be a linchpin in the middle of this defense this this guy is absolutely massive, athletic, tested just off of the charts, obviously played on, you know, arguably the best defense in the nation and was the best standout player on the defense as well. Then we see them trade for A.J. Brown, sign him to an extension that actually ended up being very team friendly. When you look closely at the numbers, the rest of the draft, they draft Cam Jurgens, uh, and then Nicobe Dean, the middle linebacker, from Georgia, just absolute playmaker, thought to be a first-round pick everywhere with some injury concerns. Eagles obviously checked him out. Uh, he's apparently just looks incredible through uh, minicamp so far, very, very high on him. Being able to get him in the third round, the sort of impact that he could potentially have at a position of need as well, I just thought was such a great pick there. And then we saw James Bradbury addition. The secondary gets a big boost with him. Obviously, miscast a little bit, shadowing number ones uh, in New York. I don't think that was the best. Um, that zone wasn't the best uh, scheme for him. I think he's going to be much better in Philadelphia, not having to necessarily kind of shadow ones as well when you have Darius Slay. Adding Jaquiski Tart as well. Eagles have a very, very strong O-line. They, they kind of invest a lot into both lines. It's where the, the majority of 
uh, their spending goes. Skill position players, you know, from a fantasy standpoint, look good to me as well. We saw Devontae Smith really flash last year. Uh, Dallas Goddard's going to be the tight end one throughout the whole season. Not have to split snaps with Zach Ertz as well. Then you add someone like A.J. Brown, who can just also take the top of the defense as well. Miles Sanders, hopefully healthy as well. I just think this Eagles defense is stacked. It is loaded. It's one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. It's going to ultimately come down to how good is Jalen Hurts going to be. Obviously love the fact that he's on the rookie contract. It enables you to go out and kind of be aggressive and add all these guys. But, yeah, I just think this roster, Sia, is deep it's stacked it's got top end talent it's got depth everything i look for kind of checks every single box for me personally yeah and it's it, it's interesting when you say it comes down to jalen hurts you know when it comes to winning the nfc east it, it, i kind of think jalen hurts just needs to be average to slightly above average to win because i i just think the dallas cowboys are starting to leak oil we're, we're starting to see a changing of the guard no pun intended with the eagles maybe having the better offensive line finally than the dallas cowboys the dallas cowboys lose amari cooper they lose an edge rusher and randy gregory you know nobody's getting younger right ezekiel Elliott looks looks to be slowing down um dak prescott is fine but like the receiver core has questions because michael gallup is injured like there, there's a lot of questions in dallas and they're not the type of team that has a pedigree where they are immune from questions all of a sudden i feel like philadelphia is so much more well-rounded and has greater depth sort of across the board that i think jalen hurts could be the inferior quarterback to dak prescott and they could still win that division so that leads me to my question of okay so you got them at around plus 200 maybe you even said plus 220 that was some time ago they're plus 165 now to win the NFC East. I still don't think that's a bad number because I don't think well, – I mean, I, I'm a Washington fan. I don't think they can really compete with those two teams. I don't think the Giants can compete with those two teams. So it's a two-man race, and I just think it might, at this point we're just being stubborn about the Cowboys line. Not we, you and me, but you know they're plus 135. The Eagles are plus 165. I think if it was swapped, I, I don't know that I would – I don't know that I'd want to bet it at plus 135, but I'm just saying I don't know that I'd be super surprised if those were swapped. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I completely agree with your point being a two-horse race. I really only see the Cowboys being the other viable threat to win the division as well. And, yeah, I, I think it's kind of uh, just the Cowboys' reputation or at least having you know been the superior team over the past two seasons sort of sticking in people's minds. I think this roster, like you mentioned, is frankly better from top to bottom than Dallas. A lot more question marks on Dallas. So, yeah, I, I do think there is still value at that plus 165 number, and I agree. I think the Eagles should be the favorite to win this division. And, yeah, if Hertz is slightly above average or takes a step forward, this team could be seriously good, in my opinion, Super Bowl contender potentially. And I do want to add something to what you said about Jalen Hurts having a favorable contract. So keep in mind, Jalen Hurts was drafted 53rd overall. So he's getting second round money, which for the record equates to a four-year, $6 million deal that he signed two years ago. So his cap hit in 2022 is $1.6 million. Like, So you have to really appreciate that as sort of a, okay, how are they signing A.J. Brown? How do they have all this money to spend on the offensive line, defensive line? It's because they have not only their quarterback on a rookie deal, but it's not even a first-round quarterback on a rookie deal. And if you want to kind of compare and contrast, and that's why, like, Teams like the Seahawks, when on when Russell Wilson was drafted in the third round, he had a obviously a team friendly deal because he was a you know a third round getting third round money, and just just by way of comparison, like Patrick Mahomes this coming year, compare one point six million for Jalen Hurts to thirty five million in twenty twenty two for Patrick Mahomes, and for the record, 
that goes up to 44, anywhere between 44 and 59 million over the next year for Pat Mahomes. I'm not saying Pat Mahomes isn't worth it. What I'm saying is when you can pay Jalen Hurts, like what, whatever that is, 130th or what 125th of what uh, another superstar might be getting, that's so much money that can go around to build the depth and the talent to grab guys like A.J. Brown and James Bradbury, guys like that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's just like you said, it's just so hard to build that roster out when you have a guy accounting for such a high percentage of the cap, you know, especially when it comes down to the depth. You know, you can if there's no injuries, obviously, we know injuries play such a huge role in the league. You know, as soon as, you know, you get into week seven, eight, nine, ten, when bodies are starting to drop, you really see the difference there. And yeah, just having a guy on that rookie contract, not even a first round pick, like you mentioned, it is very reminiscent of Seattle. I think that's such an apt comparison uh, when they just had such a loaded roster and were able to maintain it through the duration of Russell's contract before he got paid. I just think that is a recipe to success. And then you need, when you're paying a guy such a you know substantial portion of your cap, he needs to perform at such a high level for it to be a value and you just rarely see that if there is a little bit of regression or injuries or you know a variety of things happening it's just so hard uh to you know really i guess you know earn your worth in that scenario so yeah i just think uh kind of that model of being able to have a quarterback on this type of contract that can give you competent play you don't need to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league when you have such a deep talented roster if you're able to be average or slightly above average you could put together obviously a great team Eagles yeah for example you know alex i think that's part of the reason because i always begrudge um general managers head coaches uh team owners whoever's making the decisions ultimately i always begrudge them throwing in uh like a first round or second round quarterback right away when it's very obvious in the nfl they need a year or two to maybe hold the iPad, old school clipboard, and just trying to figure things out, understand offenses, understand things pre-snap. But the flip side of that coin is if you think you have a quarterback that might be ready and you're right about it and you find that out in season one, you now have so much, whether that was a first round, you know, a a top 10 pick or a second round pick or whatever, they're still on their rookie deal and it's still going to be very team friendly. So if you can throw that person in, and know that they're good. You know that for three to four years, you have a ton of flexibility. Unless, of course, you 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 know um, you know you, you negotiate a contract, you know, two or three years in. But still, it's usually going to be team friendly on the front end. So there is some justification for taking the chance on the quarterback in terms of just throwing him in there and seeing what you got. Because if you do that, you have absolutely struck gold, and now you can build a team. So I, I it's just an interesting. Uh, push and pull that I think GMs and and coaches have to deal with when they when they draft a quarterback. I do want to note before we get to the last pick that the Eagles do enjoy the second easiest schedule. Again, this is per Warren Sharp, the second easiest schedule in the NFL. In fact, the entire NFC East has a pretty easy schedule. As it turns out, all four teams are in the top 10 in terms of easy schedules. The New York Giants actually have the easiest schedule in the league, followed by the Philadelphia Eagles. Washington is six and the Dallas Cowboys are 10th. So the NFC East uh, definitely has um, the right side of the schedule this year. Going to the final bet. It is, and this is funny that we're going to the Titans. You have the Titans under nine and a half wins at minus 125. The reason I say that's funny is because we just talked about Jalen Hurts being a 1.6 million cap hit in 2022. Well, the Ryan Tannehill cap hit in 2022 
is $38.6 million. That is $37 million more than Jalen Hurts. Now, I'm not saying that to slight Ryan Tannehill at all. I think Ryan Tannehill is actually an above-average quarterback in this league, or at least average. But it is interesting to see a Ryan Tannehill, who we think has like some pretty capped upside, having such a cap hit versus a Jalen Hurts who, you know, and, and you see sort of the differences in what you can do with the teams when you have those types of discrepancies. But talk to me about the Titans under nine and a half wins. Yeah, this number just came in huge to you. I, I, the last I checked, I think this moved to eight and a half, even on some books or at least nine there. So, you know, obviously the, the market kind of agrees here, but just very underwhelmed with the offseason, highlighted by losing their second best offensive skill player in A.J. Brown to those very Eagles, with aforementioned Eagles. Didn't have a lot of cap room to mention, as you mentioned, just massive um contract bloated contract for Tannehill accounting for so much but the offense looks significantly worse on paper to me also has a lot of risk still starting with their best player and workers Derek Henry obviously the guy is a beast but the amount of miles and shred on that tire at a guy at this stage of his career we saw him start to break down a little bit last year in my opinion I just don't see giving him 30 carries a game a sustainable formula for long-term success in the NFL, especially with that many carries. Um, biggest move on offense was probably adding Robert Woods and Austin Hooper. Hooper not being a difference maker. Robert Woods, who was suddenly their de facto number one wide receiver, coming off an ACL tear in week 10 last season, on the wrong side of 30 as well. Also, he was struggling um, in a much better offense with a better quarterback, uh, prior to that ACL tear as well. I do like Traylon Burks, but he looks to be a ways away. Tannehill also started to look more like Miami Tannehill, in my opinion, Sia, than the ultra-efficient guy that we saw as soon as he became a member of the Titans and earned that contract. Also, the Titans' offensive line ranked 16th. Obviously, that's middle of the pack, according to PFF, end-of-season grades. What is interesting, only the Dolphins had a worse pass-blocking efficiency score than the Titans last season. Needless to say, that is not good. Obviously, very unbalanced. Further evidence that if that run game takes a step backwards or if Henry gets hurt, they're in some serious trouble, in my opinion. Vrabel is a good coach. The defense is solid. They do play in the softest division in the NFL. They have games against the Cowboys, Eagles, Chargers, Chiefs, Bengals, Packers, Bills, Broncos, Raiders. Tough schedule for these Titans as well. I just think 10 wins is a huge ask for this team. I, I, I got to agree there. That's certainly a high number, and it looks like the market's agreeing with you. Although, if you're watching us on YouTube, you did see that the number has held steady at 9.5. It's just been juiced to minus 140. So um, let me ask you this. I know you don't like to pay a lot of juice, but for those that didn't follow you and follow your bet from whenever you made it, which I you know I, I think you might have been on, on a sports line uh, early ed show like a, a month or so ago with this exact pick. But um, if it's minus 140, do you still like it? Yeah, I would still take a bite there. I still think it has some value, especially when you're looking at an under and just the amount of things that uh, could potentially go wrong just far outweigh things that could go right, in my opinion. So that's a scenario where I can justify sort of uh, taking on some additional juice there. Uh, just this number to me is just bloated, the nine and a half number. So, yeah, I do actually think there's quite a bit of value left, especially at that nine and a half number, if you can get it. I just think it's going to take like a – Perfect. just so much to go right 
for nine and a half or for 10 wins for this team. They're going to have to have a huge turnover margin in their favor. It's just going to not suffer injuries. Just, yeah, I just, this is too big of a number for them. Let me ask you about the receiver position because I think you're right about Hooper. He's not a difference maker. I think in in PPR formats in DFS, he does have some value potentially if he's you know, a high target tight end for Ryan Tannehill. But at the receiver position, of course, we have Traylon Burks, we have Robert Woods, who we don't know how healthy he's going to be early, and then of course Nick Westbrook at Kinney. Um, any of those guys? I mean, obviously Traylon Burks is is the like. Do you think Traylon Burks? Is I know he's young, so he's not going to be AJ Brown. But is is he the right fit to be the AJ Brown in the future, in your opinion? Uh, tough to say, Sia. I, I've read reports about Traylon Burks that he has had uh, asthma problems throughout the offseason, hasn't been able to participate in quite a few mini camps. I also read, and this was uh, sort of discouraging, is that in the pre-draft process, apparently he did not look very good either. So, yeah, just some struggles that were going on there. Also seen numerous Titans beat runners suggest a beat writer suggest that he's going to have a hard time being anything more than the third option in that passing attack. That's going to be obviously they want to run the ball first, second and third down if they can. So, yeah, not a lot of targets up for grabs. I'm bullish on his long term outlook, but he landed in one of the worst spots, even though you think, you know, he's seems like he would be an obvious replacement for AJ Breen or excuse me, AJ Brown profile Similarly as well, I just don't think the targets are going to be there. I do think uh, if anyone would be Westbrook, Akini has a little bit of sneaky value, but I just don't think there's going to be enough targets for there really to be much of anything. If the Titans are, they're going to run the ball when they're down. They're just so committed uh, to that game plan. They're one of the few teams that kind of will run down multiple scores as well, almost stubborn in a way. So, yeah, it's just hard to see. Uh, much optimism, even though I am bullish on his long-term outlook. I just don't see it really kind of happening. If it does, it'll be sort of, you know, once the season progresses and sort of down the line. Yeah, I, I feel almost bad for Ryan Tannehill because you can't just take A.J. Brown away and and give him give him a rookie like Traylon Burks. I mean, if it's if you're giving him like a Justin Jefferson type, that's one thing. And maybe some people think Traylon Burks has that type of upside. But I certainly don't. I kind of agree with you, Alex. And, and it, I certainly don't think he has that upside early. So when you have a guy like Ryan Tannehill with such a big contract, you take away his best receiver. His running back's about to turn in 29, which isn't terrible, but he's coming off a foot injury as well. It's like you know the quarterback's going to take all the blame on offense if it doesn't go well. And it's like, well, you, you know, he's kind of hampered a little bit here. So I think you're right about Mike Vrabel. He can figure things out. But I think you're also right that the under nine and a half wins is uh, is the play. I will point out from a DFS standpoint that Tennessee opens with the New York Giants at home. And that's it's a pretty low total. It's a 43 and a half point total. I don't think people are going to play Derrick Henry. There's just so many other games and, and Derrick Henry is probably going to be pretty expensive. I, I think he'll be an interesting contrarian play because people will be afraid to pay the Henry price. They'll be afraid to trot him out just in general. And there's going to be so, so many sort of better options or perceived better options. So I think he's an interesting play early in the DFS season because there are so many question marks, not necessarily with Henry himself, but also with that offense as a whole. They're at Buffalo week two. Nobody's playing Derrick Henry there because they're going to assume, of course, that Tennessee is going to be playing comeback ball, which is probably true. But if it's not and Derrick Henry dominates because they dominate the time of possession and in through the ground, then, I, you know, again, and then they play Las Vegas week three. Like there are paths from a DFS standpoint to play a contrarian Derrick Henry, which, 
you know, normally we don't conceive of Derrick Henry as a contrarian play, but for the first few weeks, it's very likely that he, at least for the first two weeks, it's very likely that he will be. Um, Alex, so that's all we have right now for your bets, but I want to talk about real quick, how do we... How do we learn about your bets in the future? I know you don't just do football. I know you do strikeout props for for Sportsline and for the early edge. Can you kind of tell everybody where they can find you, whether that's on your shows or whether that's on your written content? Yes, yes. So I appear on uh, Sportsline, early edge. I uh, kind of shift between uh, – they have two streams a day right now. Uh, Monday through Sunday is the early edge uh, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, which I will appear on occasionally. Um, often or nearly Monday through Friday, you can catch me on the Early Edge in 5, which is at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I write a column Monday through Friday during baseball season uh, where I just do strikeout props. Uh, I will have a lot of futures content coming out as far as NFL season-long props are concerned. Uh, so basically, yeah, if you just follow me on Twitter, uh, and then subscribe to Sportsline, which I know you agree, Sia, is one of the best values in sports betting. Less it's not you know, It's not one of the best values. It is the it is, best value. You know, it, it truly is, and you'd have to be a subscriber to know that. But uh, from the outside looking in, uh, you know, I mean, it's just there's nobody I know that doesn't think that Sportsline is in a value. I mean, you guys put so much of that value out in your free content at the early edge, but there's so much more behind the paywall, which doesn't really cost that much to pay, frankly. So uh, yeah, I, I needed to interrupt you there because I truly think it is the best value anywhere. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So yeah, all of my stuff is going to be uh, yeah through Sportsline. Uh, so yeah, I'm so happy uh, with Sportsline. But yeah, I will have... Uh, a weekly NFL props article. Sia, you and I will be hopefully doing a couple of shows per week, highlighting our favorite NFL props. I also do NBA props, baseball props. I'm the prop guy. He's the best in the business. His name is Alex Selznick, otherwise known as Prop Stars. There's a couple other nicknames too, which you'll have to watch the shows to learn. He is at Prop Stars. That's P R O P. S-T-A-R-Z. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm glad we got to talk about this, these picks. But we're going to talk to you more, I'm sure, as the season moves forward. And this is yet another edition of Fantasy Football Today DFS. We're going to see you next week with another guest and some more great content. Until then, we'll see you.